The podcast you just listened to was a live recording of a radio show, first broadcast on Fresh FM, the top of the South's community access media station, with support from New Zealand On Air. The funding of Access Media makes these podcasts possible. To find similar programs by other community access media stations, go online to accessmedia.nz. So kia namaskar and a very warm hello to all our listeners. You are listening to That's Mint by Multicultural Youth Nelson Tasman on Fresh FM. Hope everyone is doing well on this beautiful day. Today we are back with another rather exciting interview for our ongoing segment, Nelson's Journey. Among us today we have the first person of Indian origin to become a minister within the Parliament of New Zealand, Honourable Priyanka Radhakrishnan. How are you doing? Kaura and namaste to you, Nikita, and to your listeners as well. I'm doing very well, thank you, given the current circumstances. How are you doing? Good, good. This is an honor right now sitting across from you on the screen. Um, thank you so much for giving us your time for this podcast. Um, I hope it goes well. Yeah, thank you for your time. I hope it goes well too. Yeah. Um, apologies, I'm a little nervous and I have sweaty hands, but I hope I do a good job. Um, Don't be. Let's just have a chat. Just ask me anything you you want to know about yes i would love to do that just a relaxing chat so um the minister over here is for the community and voluntary sector diversity inclusion and ethnic communities and youth and priyanka is also the associate minister for social development and employment so before we begin just a little specifics about the ministry in layman's language how can we define the ministry of diversity inclusion and ethnic communities yeah, look, the, the new ministry, given that it was just um, launched on the 1st of July this year, um, is the chief advisor to the government on ethnic diversity and the inclusion of ethnic communities um, into you know, our wider society. This is the first time that our communities have had this level of uh, representation in the public sector. Um, it's the first time, for example, that we've had a chief executive who has a seat at the top table um, and is able to influence change across the government's um, policy agenda. So really what that means for us, for our communities, um, is that we've got a ministry that's able to both engage with our communities, bearing in mind uh, its predecessor, the Office of Ethnic Communities had that role and that function of community engagement. Our government strengthened that function over the last term, but now with a ministry, with a CE and being at the table there with CEs from other government agencies, it means that it gives us the opportunity to take what we've heard through the community engagement function and actually influence and change um, across government agencies. So that's really the new bit, um, if you want to look at it that way. And it means that we have um, the opportunity or the potential to make sure that government services are more relevant to ethnic communities and that the voices of our communities, the perspectives of different people from across our 213 ethnic communities uh, can be heard at the public sector at the government level. That is a great initiative. Thank you for mentioning that this is a very new uh, ministry that's in, that's been formed. And um, we are very thankful, me being an immigrant also, that uh, such ministry is ready to create some change. So thank you so much for explaining that. So what is the basic primary vision of your ministry? The main change that you want to bring? 
Yeah, so look, our vision as a government is for um, a society in Aotearoa where everyone feels safe, um, valued, where everyone is heard, has a sense of belonging. And I hear, you know, in that aspect from our communities, there's a strong sense for us to collectively have a sense of belonging as New Zealanders, whether it is Indian New Zealanders or Chinese New Zealanders. So celebrating what makes us unique, but also belonging as um, uh, as a New Zealander. So that's part of it. And the last part is a society where everyone is able to participate fully. So that's our broader vision. Within that, the Ministry for Ethnic Communities has a role to ensure that our diverse um, communities are able to feel that way as well. So um, I was quite um, clear when the ministry was established that the priority, so the vision and the priority um, or the priorities of the new ministry needed to be ones that reflected what was most important for our communities because, and I think you would have heard me say this when I was there at Nelson, um, when we were engaging yes. on the priorities for the new ministry, um, that virtually everything affects our, you know, people from our communities. But I wanted to make sure that what we started on or what the ministry focused on what was what was most important and would make um, a tangible change or difference for our communities. And so we, um, you know, went out there and tested what we'd heard with communities across Aotearoa. In fact, it was at one such session that we met, you and I. Yes. Um, and as a result of all of those engagements, bearing in mind that we um, had started talking about this right at the start of the year, we, our government had or cabinet had agreed at the end of last year that we would establish a ministry. Um, minister Little, who's the lead coordinating minister for um, the government's response to the recommendations of the Royal Commission of Inquiry into the Christchurch mosque attacks, um, Minister Little and I had led um, a whole series of hui nationwide on the government's response. And of course, the establishment of the ministry was one part of that response. So we had started talking about this and what was important right at the start of the year. That was with over a thousand people. We then took what we'd heard from there and I asked officials from the Office of Ethnic Communities to go back up and test that. Um, and so that was the engagements that I just mentioned. Out of that came the priorities that we have um, uh, landed on and that Cabinet has agreed will be the priorities for this new ministry. And that is really promoting the value of diversity um, and improving the inclusion of ethnic communities in wider society. That's that's one. The second one is about ensuring that government services are accessible and relevant to ethnic communities. The third is to focus on um, improving economic outcomes. And that came across strongly through the different um, engagements that we've held, that barriers to employment, for example, is one that um, many face. And so that forms the third priority. And the fourth is to work in a way that empowers ethnic community organisations. So so that's really the vision of the government. And, um, you know, for me in my portfolio, in this portfolio, um, and how we've translated that into the priorities for the new ministry for ethnic communities. Now we're at a point where we've got a chief executive, he's hit the ground running, we're turning the priorities into a strategy and an action plan for the new ministry, so that we actually make some, as I mentioned before, some tangible difference uh, to people's lives.
Well, that is so lovely to hear. And as you said, a sense of belonging is very important. And it's good to know that there's some significant changes that are happening around us. That's great to hear all the lovely um, aims that you have, goals that you've set. Um, so thank you for sharing that with us. Now, a few questions that we have are basically specific about you and how you started. So the first one that we would love to know is that what was your motive that drove you to enter the political field? Um, well, so I, my background largely prior to entering Parliament is um, uh, particularly in the women's rights space, both in Singapore where I worked before I moved to um, New Zealand uh, and since, and particularly in the violence prevention, domestic violence prevention um, space. So I worked, of course, in the NGO sector for many years with a refuge organization that you may or may not have heard of um, called Shakti. And part of my role there was the service provision role, so crisis support when someone, you know, a woman comes to the organization and is in a position that's unsafe, we would put in um, a safety plan and help her to become safe, whatever that meant for her in that situation. Of course, we had refuges to help um, along along those lines as well. So part of it was the crisis um, support. The other part of my role was to take the experiences of the women who came to that organization for support um, and to lobby successive governments for legislative and policy change. So I worked on things like forced marriage, for example, that then also became my master's thesis, um, having worked with many young women particularly in that position and realizing there wasn't a lot of information um, about that in a New Zealand context. So so that's where I guess um, part of my role in terms of being politically active in that sense came about. Um, I also joined the Labour Party two years after I moved to New Zealand so that was quite a while back now, back in 2006 I think it was mm. um, and that was because uh, you know, for me, that was a party that reflected my values. So, so I joined them, never thinking of standing. I just thought that I'd help out. They were also at that time, Helen Clark was the prime minister and they were the party that I felt had done, you know, anything useful for migrant communities. So, Definitely. so that was both the wider political um, journey in terms of, you know, select committee submissions and engaging in democracy and the party political side kind of um, started a lot <laughs> Round about the same time for me. Um, and then after many years um, in the 2014, before the 2014 election, it was suggested to me by someone um, who had been a former cabinet minister that, you know, I'd knocked on the doors for change for such a long time from the NGO sector. Would I consider being at the table and being part of that change? And I had to be quite honest, it had never occurred to me. I never really thought about it. And I thought, oh, yeah, that appeals. So I'll give it a go. And that's how I stood for Parliament um, for the first time. 2014, of course, is an election that many of us in the Labour Party prefer to forget. And so I stood again in 2017 and got into Parliament then. That is great. So basically, this was an unexpected turn because your journey had started from NGOs and then um, someone recommended to go into Parliament. And that's where you took the step. That is quite interesting to know. Great. Um, so thank you for saying that. Thank you for sharing. So seeing that your journey has been very exciting and very empowering in a way, has there been any significant highlights that have occurred in your past professional life, which we, you would like to share? I guess one that I would um, that always stands out for me in my first term in Parliament, I was on the Justice and Electoral Select Committee 
And at that time, a member's bill was drawn from the ballot. Um, and that was about changing legislation so that if you were 16 and 17-year-old, 16 or 17 back then, before the change happened, you needed parental consent to get married under the Marriage Act. This member's bill changed that. So it replaced parental consent with family court consent. That meant that a loophole that many had used previously um, to force someone who was 16 or 17 into a marriage could be closed. And that was partly what I had advocated for, both through my thesis and through the work that I had done um, you know, with the young women I'd worked with. Now, it wasn't my member's bill. It was a National Party member's, member's bill. Um, got drawn from the ballot. I happened to be on the select committee. Um, and I was able to use the experiences of the women I had worked with to influence, influence changes through that select committee process. And then I got to speak to the bill in the House through its, you know, through its passage through the House, right from the first reading through to it being passed at the third reading. Um, and for me, that was that was a massive highlight because it's an issue that was only one part of the issue. It wasn't doesn't fix the broader issue of forced marriage, but it was a topic that I had worked with on the ground in the NGO sector. It was something I had advocated for through research, lobbied governments for I also worked with the Ministry for Women for a for a stint before I entered Parliament. I wanted to see how the public sector works from the other side. Um, so it was something that I tried to get across the line then, but wasn't able to. Um, but then saw it through to fruition in the last term. So sorry, a really long-winded answer to your question, but that no, for me okay. stands out as a highlight. Every everything that you're sharing with us is very key information for us, and we are very thankful. So please go ahead. And um, that's a lovely answer. Basically, you took the knowledge and experiences from your um, the work you had done before and applied it. So that is really good to know. And that's one of your highlights. So um, that's very inspiring. Thank you. Um, our next question would be that how would an inspiring role model such as yourself motivate today's youth to set a focused path for themselves to reach a point like you are now? As the youth for today is diverting and getting a lot of distractions, they don't have a set path for themselves. So what advice would you basically give? Oh, look, I mean, you know, I, I do get asked this a little bit as a Minister for Youth as well. And generally what I would say is to pick something, pick an area, a topic, an issue that you feel, or when I say you, I mean speaking to the broader, um, to, to young people generally, Pick something that you feel passionate about. You know, you've said this before. You've often said that you want to be the change that you want to see, quoting Mahatma Gandhi. Um, do that. And that's, you know, th that's what I would say to anyone. All of our paths will differ. What we feel passionately about will be different. And that's fine. But pick what sits well with you, what reflects your values. And I'd say forge your own leadership path. Don't look to anyone else to you know, follow in footsteps or allow them to define what leadership looks like for you. Define it yourself based on the values that guide you and the um, issues that are important to you. And I often find as Minister for Youth, when I engage with young people, that they're really the ones that put me through my paces and ask me the tough questions. So, you know, I don't know that they're that distracted, but it is it is a tough time of life. Um, I think actually that's that period for us we define in government we define youth as 12 to 24 but that sort of 16 to 20 24 age group i think um has it the hardest 
in life. So I think you can hold on to the fact that things do get better. But um, but equally, there are you're a switched on group of people. Thank you. That feels so great coming from you. And definitely 16 to 20 being 17 myself, it has been a, it is a hard journey to go through. And definitely we do believe that life does get better. But uh, for sure, the youth, especially here in New Zealand, personally coming from me, um, from a different country, the youth over here has much more opportunities than where I've come from. So I'm very thankful to be here. Otherwise, I would not have been able to have this conversation with you. Um, so the next question that we have is that in your day-to-day busy and hectic schedule, how do you personally manage to keep your overall well-being positive and stimulated? Because the job you do, <laughs> I can imagine... It would not be easy for anyone. So um, how do you manage to keep that work-life balance? And would you say it's easy to maintain? Um, no, I wouldn't say it's easy. <laughs> um, but, and I, I'm still working it out, frankly. It's probably the toughest part of this role. I mean, you know, it's quite a steep learning curve becoming um, a member of parliament and then all over again when you become a minister. So trying to juggle just the hours in the day um, and all of that gets um, gets interesting at times. But really, you've just got to be like any other role that's busy. You've just got to carve some time out for yourself and for your family um, as well. Because otherwise, you know, that whole saying of when you get on a, on a plane, people say that if you need an oxygen yes. mask, put yes. your own first before you help someone else. I try and remind myself with that. Um, and it really is just about, you know, consciously carving that, that time out um i've got two dogs um oh, lovely. well and a husband but two dogs as well who, um, um you know in between now it's all zoom meetings given that we're still at level four here in auckland um but i take some time out and, you know take them for a walk play with them um cook a meal very occasionally um yeah just do stuff that that allows you to switch off to spend time with the people that you love um yeah just got to be conscious about it Yes, definitely. Prioritizing ourselves is very important at this time. Otherwise, we would not be able to give our best to the work life. So that's good to know. And um, two dogs, that must be a handful, but they would also keep you well balanced. So that is good to know also. Um, These are some wonderful answers we're getting for our questions. This is a wonderful conversation happening. Thank you so much. The next questions that we have are going to be a little bit specific around the youth community, being the Minister of Youth as well. So the first one that we would have is to what advice would you give to the growing multicultural youth community to collaborate and connect in a constructive way within the society? So the multicultural youth, as in people who have come from different cultures, um, they also have a hard time in connecting with the society of uh, New Zealand, the locals. So what advice would you give to them? Look, I, I think you're probably better place to give some advice there being a young person yourself but you know it would really just be about um finding out what the opportunities are in in your areas of interest in your geographical area potentially um but equally i find that young people connect um a fair bit on social media so perhaps geography isn't even that important anymore um i wouldn't know the the other thing um I have discovered recently, which I found really interesting, and this is as the Minister for the Community and Voluntary Sector, um, is that young people volunteer quite differently to yeah. other generations or to older generations. So previously you'd have, you know, um, typically older generations um, uh, 
people would pick an organization that they supported and they would just volunteer through that organization, which is a very legitimate way of volunteering. Younger people, what I've what I'm told is that they tend to pick an issue that they're passionate about and they'll support whichever organization at the time is um, furthering that issue or, you know, um, advocating or, or working in that space, basically. So that, that's another way of um, collaborating, of connecting, of meeting people perhaps that you might not have met before is to volunteer. Um, I still try and find a little bit of time to do that because I believe in it. Um, and I've, I've always felt that I make connections through volunteering that I otherwise might not have um, made. Definitely. So I think that those are a couple of ways in which people might, you know, young people might want to get out and explore um, uh, explore the society that they live in. That is some great advice. I also um, began my journey with volunteering only, which is how I reached here. So um, it is difficult to connect with people in the beginning, but volunteering does help. I did a little, little bit for Blind Foundation and others also. So that is, great. yes, um, that is some great advice. I was actually passionate for it and I got the opportunity here. Um, so I was really happy that I could uh, bring a change to the community. Um, so thank you. Thank you. Um, the second one, like you said, also, we had a... Uh, I had met you personally in Nelson when you had come and we had a discussion about this topic was a sense of cultural awareness, how people lack that in today's time, which leads to um, having that gap between different um, cultures. So how do you plan on bringing a sense of cultural awareness at, at the school level in New Zealand? Um, look, that would be led by the Minister for Education, generally, in terms of what happens um, um, within schools. I do know, though, and this came out with um, at the different hui that Minister Little and I led at the start of the year. One of the, I think it was about, it was over 30 sessions that um, that took place. And virtually at every one, the need for more awareness at a school level was raised by parents, by teachers, um, and by young people themselves. So there is a fair bit of work that is going on led by the Ministry for Education to look at how we might be able to do that, competencies for teachers to uh, both understand the diverse needs of their different you know, students from diff different ethnic and faith backgrounds, and then be able to respond to that. So um, there is a fair bit of work underway in that, in that space. Um, part of it is also, uh, you know, within the, we've got a child and youth well-being strategy. I'm not sure if you're aware of that, but um, that is a strategy that was led by the Prime Minister. It was, de was developed to ensure that as a government, we have a focus um, uh, or a focused action plan that, that supports the government's vision for Aotearoa to be the best place to be a child or a young person. And so under that strategy, I think it's about 75 different um, actions, about 49 supporting actions, uh, and about 20 government agencies that have responsibility to further those actions. Part of that responsibility is with the Ministry um, of Education as well to do exactly what you've said. So a fair bit of work already going on there, but I totally take the need that there's, um, uh, you know, there's a need to do more there as well. Well, that is great to know that there is a change going on. So um, we would love to um, see whatever significant changes are made by the Ministry of Education. Um, and yes, as you said, there is a need for it. Uh, but it's a baby step process. I'm sure it will happen very soon. 
It is. And I think, you know, even more broadly out of the school level or the, the education sector specifically, I think there's a role that all of us can play to do that both to, and I think you've mentioned this previously as well, through, you know, supporting cultural events, through things like food festivals and so on. Um, And the Ministry for Ethnic Communities does support um, some of that through the Ethnic Communities Development Fund uh, as well, initiatives or activities focused on social cohesion. Um, And so, you know, if anyone's listening to this and has an initiative that they think might fit within the purview of that fund, I'd suggest that they um, have a look at the ministry webpage for a bit more information around that as well, because this aspect of sharing um, and, you know, building a broader understanding of the diverse cultures um, and faith communities that coexist in New Zealand um, is one that all of us must take responsibility to do, I feel. Definitely. This is something that us as individuals, each human being can take uh, forward to just get to know a little bit of each and everyone's culture. So that is a great um, answer. The last and final question that we have is that are we as youth lacking in our empathetic approach towards other communities? So um, even as a multicultural youth person, um, do you think that the youth community is lacking in getting to know someone else in a way that they should be? I don't know that I'd necessarily single out um, youth as lacking that ability. Um, in fact, I think that potentially our, our young people are more exposed to other cultures um, and friends who speak different languages and come from different um, faith communities. I think that collectively we could all continue to do better in that space. Um Because, you know, often if you talk about racism or any other form of discrimination, it often results or stems from a lack of understanding of the context of the other person or why they dress in a certain certain way or why they, you know, have certain practices that they adhere to. And so I feel a lot of that can be addressed through through this cross-cultural exchange and understanding each other a little bit better. Um, And no, I don't necessarily think that young people... Um, are any worse off in that aspect I think we could all we could all do it a bit better and um, if you have ideas on how we can do it better or your listeners feel free to send that through because that is an area of interest for the new ministry and for myself as well awesome that is some great answers uh, thank you so much for um, giving such spectacular advice on all of our questions and for giving your time this was a lovely conversation and we hope to see more of you um and the significant changes that are happening around we're really looking forward to that um hope this was a um good interview for you as well i'm still very nervous and shaken so i hope i did a good job about that (laughs) oh don't be you did a spectacular job those were some really good questions um nikita and you asked them really well as well so can i just say thank you for your time um also and please do feel free to you know sort of link in with the work that the ministry is doing because both for me and i know for our chief executive as well it is really important that we have the youth voice central in the, the changes that we're making so please do be part of that and any opportunities um, uh, you know, that you find to be part of that or you, you would like for us to, to extend, let me know and do ask your peers to be a part of it as well. Definitely. We would love to keep in touch with such amazing um, changes. So um, this was lovely and office, obviously I would always give my time. So this was a Thank privilege you. for me. Thanks. Well, it was lovely chatting with you. You take care and go well. 
in the different alert levels as well. Stay for sure. Safe. For sure. I'll see you next time. Bye. You have been listening to That's Mint by Multicultural Youth Nelson Tasman. Thank you to all our listeners for tuning in. We will be back soon with another great episode with another inspiring story to share. Till then, be kind, stay safe, stay strong and have a great rest of your day. The podcast you just listened to was a live recording of a radio show, first broadcast on Fresh FM, the top of the South's community access media station with support from New Zealand On Air. The funding of Access Media makes these podcasts possible. To find similar programs by other community access media stations, go online to accessmedia.nz.